Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Caught Offside. With Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught offside from just outside of New York City and only from just outside of New York City on this evening. J.J. unfortunately has had a a bit of a family emergency. He is not available tonight. Uh, We wish him certainly the best. And hopefully he'll be back for the next podcast that we do early part of next week. Um, so all the best to him and his family. Um, so it is just me tonight. This is not the podcast that I wanted to do on multiple levels. A, first and foremost, the podcast that I always want to do is the one where JJ is with me. That is the best version of this podcast, certainly. And B, it's not the podcast that I wanted to do because the U.S. lost. The U.S. fall in the semifinals of the CONCACAF Gold Cup to Panama, one-one. Uh, and then Panama, Panama go on and win it in penalties. Um, boy, there's a lot to go through here uh, on on many different levels of this one. There's this game. There's any big picture stuff. Uh, there's the ancillary things, which I always have. I have several that I think you'll enjoy. Um, but overall, I think the I mean the dominant feeling right now that I'm feeling, and that I'm sure all of you out there who are listening to this as well that you're feeling, I think it's disappointment. I mean, it has to be just disappointment. First off, this isn't really a feeling that we're used to uh, of late with this U.S. team. Now, I know we can say all we want that under Greg Berhalter, it hasn't always looked exactly the way that we've wanted. And, and we say that here on this podcast as well. But the one thing that even the, the, the greatest Berhalter detractors can't deny is that the U.S. have continued to win. They've continued to win tournaments. They've continued to achieve objectives like getting out of the group stage of the World Cup. Um, even with squads that are not necessarily always the A squad, like the last Gold Cup, the U.S. has found ways to win. So right now, the thought of the U.S. Uh, going out in the semifinals, not even at least reaching the final, um, and and you know maybe it's more palatable if they lose to a strong Mexican squad or a strong Canadian squad, but this feeling of going out in a semifinal to Panama 
I think is a feeling right now that even with what is essentially a C squad for the U.S., I think it leaves you feeling empty. I think it has to feel leave you feeling disappointment. I think maybe if this group had found a way to eke this one out, get to the final, maybe they lose in dramatic fashion to Mexico. You know, maybe you could take something away from it. But I don't I don't know that that's I don't think that's the feeling tonight. I don't think anybody could really be walking away with that sort of feeling. Now, one thing I will say right at the top, because I already can feel myself drifting into kind of demeaning territory. And what needs to be said first and foremost, before anything else about the U.S., I've got to say props to Panama. Like this was this was no fluke. Like there is no, you know, sometimes you get these these cup games that go to penalties because one team is kind of playing for penalties and, you know, they're going to time waste and they're going to do whatever they can. They're going to defend. They're going to put all their men behind the ball and see if they can just kind of get some fortunate bounces of the ball, maybe a counterattack, maybe win on PKs, whatever. And that's what can happen sometimes in a tournament format. That was not tonight. That was not tonight. I mean, it, it wound up going to penalties, but not because Panama were necessarily playing for that. That team came out with a clear purpose and they looked good and they looked like the better side. And I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody could sit here tonight and tell you that the wrong team won this game. That is, that is peak disingenuousness. If anybody is going to say that Uh, Panama had a, like I said, a clear game plan, especially in the first half. I mean, they were, they were put on the back foot early in the first seconds of this one, when it looked like the U S were going to roll after uh, an initial giveaway from Panama. Uh, comes to Brandon Vasquez, who then gets it to Kate Cowell, who takes it first time and smashes one off the post. And you think, oh, here we go. We're up for this one tonight. But that was it. That was the high watermark pretty much until, you know, we'll get we'll go through the rest of the game. But Panama, the way they spread the field, you know, midfielders, wingbacks, basically on the the end lines, spreading the U.S., the US spreading the U.S. out. The U.S. are kind of chasing Panamanian players around the field. There's pockets of space that Panama were, be able, were able to create uh, through the way they spaced this, the field. And the U.S., they struggled with it. Now, they made adjustments in the second half and the game kind of leveled out. But Panama were the better team. Panama were the better team in this one. I don't, uh, it'd be hard for me to come away with any other big takeaway from this game than that. Doesn't mean that the U.S. didn't have chances. Uh, There were certainly opportunities that the U.S. wasted in this game, but boy, the same could certainly be said about Panama. Uh, Let's go through it. We'll go through some of the game and then we'll get to the bigger takeaways and some of the players that I want to, that I want to highlight coming out of this. Um, But like I said, what a start. I mean, this was almost the dream scenario for the U.S. And you wonder uh, sort of a sliding doors moment if Kate Cowell puts that just a few inches to the left on the other side of the bar and the U.S. take an early lead. What does this game look like if that ball goes in? But that was kind of the story of the tournament for this U.S. team, with the exception of two games against two very overmatched opponents. Um, The U.S. just final, you know, final product, the end product, final third. That was just that plagued them all throughout. Um but uh, nice pressure from the U.S. early on to force that turnover. Brandon Vasquez doing a good job dribbling into space, finds Cade Cowell, who's streaking into the box, uh, puts one, like I said, right off the bar. And you think, OK, like maybe this new look U.S. team, this new look front three with Ferreira, Vasquez, Cowell, um, maybe there's something to this. Maybe the U.S. will will be on the front foot for most of this game and have Panama on the back foot. Uh, but that that did not materialize. And that was pretty much what you saw all throughout the first half. Panama. Um, they had some opportunities. Um, there were certain moments where Panama did struggle a little bit trying to get it out from the back, but 
overall, that was not really the story of the first half. Panama did a nice job. It was a poor first half for the U.S. And I, and Rob Stone highlighted the number one statistic that I took from this one uh, in the first half specifically. Panama completed 157 more passes than the U.S.? 157 more? I mean, good Lord. How can that happen? Chemistry just was not there for this U.S. team. You saw it at points in all the games of this tournament, certainly the first game against Jamaica. Then you thought, okay, they're they're finding their footing against St. Kitts and Nevis, really found it against Trinidad and Tobago. And you thought, okay, maybe it took a couple games. Maybe it took the group stage for this team to sort of figure it out. But then Canada kind of receded into the same sort of problems. And then tonight, it just it just always looked a little bit off with this team. It just always looked a little bit disjointed. I know we talked about after the Canadian uh, win the other night, that you know, it, it didn't look great, but at least the U.S. were threatening in the second half. Cade Cowell came on, and I thought, you know, he he put Canada in some precarious positions, and the U.S. did go on and win that, um, even if it was off a fortuitous bounce. You know, the U.S. did push on and 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 attacked and found some holes in the Canadian defense, but overall, it's just I don't think that's that wasn't really who this team was in this tournament. I think that probably you come away from this tournament feeling like that was more of the aberration. There just wasn't chemistry with this group. It it never quite clicked. You know, fatigue, was that a factor? I, the U.S. aren't going to come out and say that. They probably shouldn't. I think that's kind of a bad look if they were to come out and, and use that as an excuse. Um, but 120 minutes in a really physical game on one fewer day of rest than what their opponent tonight had, uh, then this one goes 120 minutes as well in – Southern California heat. I mean, yeah, it, it might have been a factor. I think there were definitely guys out there, especially late, that looked tired. I mean, we'll get to penalties, but Jesus Ferreira on his penalty, a guy looked like he just didn't have much left. He was hurt near the end of extra time, working out what appeared to be cramps. Um, you know, he was not alone. Uh, I think that there were probably a lot of guys out on that field tonight who were who, whose legs just were not where Panama's were. Um is that the reason the U.S. lost? No, I, I would not go so far as to say that. But to say that it wasn't a factor, I don't know if that's entirely fair either. I think that I think that you could probably cite that as one of the reasons that the U.S. did not win this game. But like I said, in that first half, especially Panama, they were set up to create space. They played the ball wide. It worked. I guess the one thing you could take away from it was that the U.S. did a decent job of last-ditch defending. I mean, like after all, think think about that first half. And however bad you felt coming out of it, was there a truly memorable scoring opportunity for Panama in those first 45 minutes? I mean, they put the U.S. in some threatening spots, but overall, not really. I mean, Brian Reynolds had uh, a couple good last-ditch efforts. Now, he did have a, a moment of really poor defending when he misjudged the ball into the box, uh, but the U.S. were able to gather themselves and recover. Um, so, you know, in the end, it was, again, <laughs> Panama looked in some ways like a reflection of what the U.S. has looked like uh, at points in this tournament, where just... You know, some some threatening buildup, a little bit of threatening buildup, but an end product that wasn't quite there. But you left that first half thinking if the U.S. doesn't make some kind of adjustment here, they're going down and it could get ugly. Um, if the U.S., especially if the U.S. are on more tired legs than what Panama are on, which I believe was the case. So the U.S. did make some adjustments. Uh, and early in the second half, you started to see right away, Kate Cowell beat uh, his man into the box, plays the ball back to Brandon Vasquez, but it's just a little little too tough of a ball to, for, for Vasquez to work with. I don't know, you know, five people could look at that moment there for the U.S. and see it maybe three ways versus two ways. Uh, for me, I kind of, it felt like a Cade Cowell moment. You know, that's, 
him getting into a, a dangerous position, being a player for the U.S. who wants to take the initiative, who clearly wants the ball at his feet in dangerous spots. Uh, and, you know, he gathered it, put Panama on the back foot. But then in his moment of trying to complete the play and get the ball to Brandon Vasquez, it's it's a ball that was always going to be difficult for Vasquez to handle. Tight quarters, ball played at him at a high velocity that was kind of lifted off the ground a little bit. It's I mean, if Vasquez scores there, it's a great goal. Uh you know, I would have liked maybe for Cade Cowell to put that on a platter a little bit easier for Vasquez to handle. But like I said, that was it's it's kind of this is kind of what you get with this team that you're putting out there. This B slash C squad, like end product, is always going to be the most difficult part for a team like that. And I think Cade Cowell was sort of the prime example of that. But then what happens? The same thing that we saw early in the game. Early in the game, seconds in, the U.S. had their scoring opportunity. You thought, oh, okay, here we go. And what happened? Less than 45 seconds later, Panama came back downfield with a chance of their own. Same deal at the start of the second half. 52nd minute was the Cowell Vasquez chance. It went wanting. 53rd minute, Panama come right back. A free header, completely free header, which Matt Turner blocks. It was put into the ground and and centrally located. If it was on either side of Turner, it's probably a goal. Turner does a nice job. Could quick reflexes, knocks it over the bar. Uh, But the U.S. just not really with an opportunity to gain the sort of foothold in this game that they would have liked. Uh, 65th minute, the U.S., you could see momentum building for them a little bit. And I think the substitution of DeAndre Yedlin really helped. He centered a ball to Jesus Ferreira, and I mean, he's got to do better with it. He's got all kinds of space in the middle of the box. It's a ball that he should do better with. Yedlin put it in the exact right spot. And Ferreira, I mean, if if you are a true goal scorer, like at times he clearly is. I mean, he finished this tournament with seven goals. That is good goal scoring. And in MLS 18 last year, I think he has 10 so far in the first, however, you know, half, two thirds of the season. Um, this season, I mean, he, he is a good goal scorer, but moments like that, when your team desperately needs one in the semifinal of, of a cup, I mean, it's it's got to be a little bit better than that. He kind of scuffs the shot. It goes just a few inches wide. And a player like him, in the form that he had been in at certain moments in this tournament, it, it was a big moment there. Uh, but it was not the last that we would hear from Jesus Ferreira, of course. Um, fast forward to the end of the second half. U.S., once again, very fortunate. Very fortunate at the end of that half. A near handball from, I, I believe it was Georgi Mihalovic, uh, not quite cleared properly. Panama retains possession, then scores. The goal is wiped off rightfully for an offside and the handball not given. So once again, not for the first time in this tournament, the U.S. feeling like they, okay, we dodged a bullet. Now let's capitalize on that. Game goes to extra time, 99th minute. And finally, Panama are able to break the U.S. down. A goal for Panama. U.S. playing a high line. And that, I mean, it it only works if everyone is operating in conjunction with each other. Like that, if if you're going to play that way, and that's fine, but everyone has got to be aligned. Not the case. Miles Robinson plays Yvonne Anderson on side. Uh, Anderson collects it, does well with it. Turner rushes out. Anderson avoids him, slots home. Um, yeah, I saw some people kind of putting that on Matt Turner a little bit. Maybe he needs to be quicker off his line. Maybe he's got to take the guy out and just eat the red card there. I don't blame Turner necessarily for that. He probably can't tell if that's going to be in the box or outside of the box. If he goes that route, he doesn't, you can't give away a penalty there. You got to take your chances. Maybe, you know, maybe I'll come up with a tackle. If not, hopefully there's someone behind me who can, uh, who can have my back. None of that was the case. Turner whiffed winds up as a goal for Yvonne Anderson, Panama take a one nil lead. Um, and so once again, the U.S. are going to be in a position where they've got to fight back. They were able to do it against Canada the other night. Did they have the legs to do it again on this night? 
The answer, yes. Just six minutes later, 105th, right before uh, halftime of extra time, goal. And it's Jesus Ferreira making up for his earlier miss with, I mean, look, I don't have the list in front of me, but the most memorable goal of his career so far, down a goal in the, in the semifinals of, of a gold cup on a volley. Nice job from Jordan Morris, who wins that ball cleanly. Great header from Morris. Uh, right to Jesus Ferreira. Ferreira, you could say he shins it, whatever. Does that matter? Does any of that matter? Like It's a great volley goal for Jesus Ferreira. Good for him. Like I said, probably the best goal of his career so far at that moment. Uh, and the U.S., once again, like they did the other night, this group of players who have found some ways to – have found some moments where they put themselves in a hole – They've at least shown one thing, and I know they couldn't finish the job tonight, but they have at least shown this group has that they cannot be counted out, that they do dig themselves holes, that they're not always at their best, that they're not always as good as what their competition is, uh, but they find a way. They find a way to extend the game and the other night win it, tonight at least push it to penalties. So props to them for that. I think they did show a little bit of fight, a little bit of toughness, um, and they get this one into penalty kicks. And it starts poorly. Like I said, the guy who was just the hero, Jesus Ferreira, takes the first penalty for the U.S., and it's a poor one. It's a really poor one. It's saved. Uh, He went the other way. He went to his right the other night. This time he goes to his left. Mascara guessed right. He was all over it, smothered it. Not a lot on that one. Little far too centrally located from Jesus Ferreira. I wonder how much of it were, like I said, his legs. If he just didn't have en- enough in him where he trusted himself to really go out and smash it, if he didn't have the energy to go out and smash it, I don't know. Whatever it was, not a good penalty. Not a good penalty. I'm wondering something too that I, I was kind of thinking about at- before he took his penalty because he scored the dramatic goal. I don't have examples in front of me. I wonder if an animal, one of the animals out there, if you're looking for a homework assignment, I wonder how many times. In games, uh, in tournaments, you see a player score late and then take a penalty and not convert the penalty. If I had more time to conduct research on this one, uh, I would, because I feel like there's something there. I don't know why. I just feel like I've seen examples in the past of a guy who scores a dramatic goal late and then just in in penalties, you go from hero to goat very quickly. Um, So the U.S. immediately in the hole. A couple penalties later, though, horrifying penalty from Christian Martinez of Panama. Oh, my God. Turner all over it. Sometimes JJ and I talk all the time about a poor penalty. Oftentimes you can see it before the the ball is even kicked. And that was the case with Christian Martinez. Terrible run up, no confidence, came to a complete stop, waiting for Turner to bite. Turner never did, smothers it really bad. And then bang, the U.S. right back in it. Good feelings. They come rushing right back in. All right. So here we go. Matt Miazga then converts a great penalty. I wonder what you guys thought about what happened after that. Um, I wonder if opinion will be split on this. Miazga converts his penalty, and then the cameras kind of cut away, and then they cut back to him, and you you sort of see maybe the tail end of it, um, where Miazga is, I mean, it's it's trash talk on high. Like, it, it's it's really like the most egregious type of trash talk in a situation like that. Uh I don't know. Maybe there's maybe there's a segment of the U.S. fan base out there that loves to see that kind of thing. For me, that ain't it. It's just not. Like I'm not saying that there aren't ways to like get in an opponent's head in penalty kicks. Um, gamesmanship is certainly part of it. I don't know what the line is. I couldn't tell you. Like okay, here's the line. What's okay? What's not? I guess I just kind of know it when I see it and how I feel watching something go down. And like for me. It just, that's, that ain't it. <laughs> that doesn't, 
I don't know. I guess it's a guy who's caught up in the heat of a moment. He's emotional, just converted one of the biggest penalties of, of his career, probably the biggest. Um, and he's just caught up in it. I thought it was too much. And sure enough, Panama convert. So it goes for nothing. Sudden death, Christian rolled on, not a good penalty, stopped by Mosquera. And then Panama, of course, Coco Carasquilla uh, wins it for Panama. And like I said, you can't say they didn't deserve it. And they were thrilled, as they should be. They're on the road in a hostile environment, good crowd on hand in San Diego uh, of American fans. Um, that's a great win. That's a tremendous win for Panama, one that they should really feel good about. I don't care what squad, A, B, C, D, whatever you want to call it for the U.S. Panama's got to feel great about that. To beat the U.S. in penalties and advance to uh, the uh, Gold Cup final, It's this was a night that they will not forget in that country and the players on that team, and you could see it. I mean, they were super emotional afterwards, and the U.S. were crestfallen. I mean, Jesus Ferreira looked almost inconsolable on the side. He knows he missed that chance late. Sure, he did convert with that volley, but then he went, goes and misses a penalty. Weird tournament. Weird tournament for him. So with that being the case, let's get into some of that, some of the the larger takeaways. And I guess I'll start with Ferreira. I don't know how I come out of this feeling for him. Um, certainly there were highs, you know, back-to-back hat tricks. Again, I, the opponents, they are what they are, but still props to them. I mean, like like we've talked about, a lot of guys in the history of U.S. soccer have faced bad opponents and teams that were overmatched. They have not all done that. So I do think that there is there is a good player there. And I lead this tournament feeling, I guess, pretty similarly about Jesus Ferreira as I did coming in. Uh, I think he's a good player. I think if he's the U.S.'s top option at striker, then we have a problem there. That's no longer the case. I think he's a solid depth player who I would like to see go play in Europe. Um, I think that he's of a level where he could go to the Dutch Eredivisie, so, you know, to Belgium, somewhere uh, in Europe and test himself and see if he can kind of use that as a springboard, much the way other players have, you know, like Brendan Aronson went to Salzburg, use that as a springboard. I, I'd like, I would like to see Jesus Ferreira test himself so we can kind of all find out, okay, what, what is the trajectory of this career? Because right now we can't tell. He's a very good MLS player and he's a fine USMNT player. But like I said, if he's your top option at the striker position, then you're not good enough there. That's no longer the case. So I'm not as distressed about it as I might have been if this was, you know, a year ago. Uh, but right now, I don't see that as the case. So I, I'm kind of kind of made peace, I guess, to a certain extent with what Jesus Ferreira at this stage of his career is. I am not writing him off by any means. None. I would like to see him take the next step and advance his career. Um, you know, players that stood out, there weren't many. I mean, honestly, like I look, I know JJ and I, we kind of we kind of fought the other night over this notion. JJ essentially said that he comes out of this thinking none of these guys are good enough. Um, I don't I can't say that after one tournament with a team that is, you know, a, a lot of young players that haven't really played together before under a manager who's an interim to an interim. Like, uh, you know, I, 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 I can't sit here and tell you I'm writing all I'm writing the whole team off. I know that there are a lot of American fans out there that do feel that way tonight. Um, I, I can't get to that place. I'm not writing off the whole team. I thought James Sands had a fine tournament, and I thought he played well over the last couple games. Um, you know, I know PJ Callahan spoke after the Canada game and said James Sands for him was the man of the match. And you know, they say like James Sands, I think himself acknowledged that as a defensive midfielder, he's not going to like. It's it's not going to be headline grabbing performances, but I think he did for the most part. I think he did his job. I think he he won back possession a ton for the U.S. What was what was the stat? He had something over forty ball recoveries for the U.S. over the course of this tournament. I mean, that's what you want. 
this is a guy who's changed position multiple times. He was a center back. They've moved him to defensive midfield. He went off to Europe. It didn't quite click for him. He's come back. He's bounced around. Like There's a lot going on there. I thought this tournament was a steadying tournament for him. I think it kind of stabilized his career a little bit. I think he is probably one of the few players that can come out of this feeling, at least feeling okay, Um, because there weren't many more. So he was one where I was like, all right, there's a decent, there, there were some good performances in there. Um, but overall, there, there's not a whole lot else. Brandon Vasquez, of course, had a few great moments for the U.S., scored some important goals for the U.S., but in terms of just the cohesiveness with him and other players around him playing up front, like I said, it just wasn't quite there. It just it, it just didn't click. It just didn't click. This team had a hard time finishing opportunities against teams that were at least of a decent caliber. Against the horrible opposition that they had, they were very good. Against the decent opposition... Didn't click. Couldn't break down the opposition. Never really happened. Um, one other player that I wanted to mention coming out of this, uh, Miles Robinson. Now, I, I don't know what version of Miles Robinson I, I was necessarily expecting to see uh, in the Nations League and then in this tournament. You know, he's coming off of a, of a terrible injury that at least temporarily has derailed his career. Now, I, I think he'll he'll bounce back. I think the world of him. I think he he proved that he belonged uh, as a potential starter for the U.S. at a World Cup had he not gotten injured. So I, I know what the ceiling is for Miles Robinson. I think he's another guy that I wouldn't mind seeing go have a little bit of a European adventure, and we can find out just exactly what direction that career is going to go, because I think that he's a really good player. However, however, if Miles Robinson had this Gold Cup two years ago in the last Gold Cup, I don't think Miles Robinson is a part of the U.S. in a prominent way during World Cup qualifying. I think that's the version of Miles Robinson that we got here. And I think it, it, you know, maybe he would have been in some kind of rotation, but during World Cup qualifying, one of the first names on the team sheet was Miles Robinson. Now, ultimately, he suffered his injury, and that was that. But if he had performed like this, like he did in this tournament, he's not one of the first names on the team sheet. Maybe sometimes it's him and Walker Zimmerman. Other times, maybe Miazga's more in the fold. Maybe Tim Ream would have bought, been brought back earlier. But this version of Miles Robinson would not have been one of the first names on that team sheet. He did not have a very good tournament. The handball issue the other night, um, tonight, like I mentioned, playing a Panama, all of them on side for what was at, at the time the go-ahead goal. You know, I, look, He's still working his way back into form. So I'm not writing the, I'm not closing a chapter or, or the book on him either. Uh, I, I think that we've all seen how good he can be. Um, so this is, this is not the end of anything. But if we're just judging this tournament, if we're just judging these past couple of weeks and the performances we saw, it wasn't great. It wasn't great. Um, you know, so that's John Luca Buzio. Like there's a lot of players for the U.S. that I come away from this tournament thinking like, yes and no. Like Buzio, I think, had some moments where I thought, okay, like I see it. You know, he, he's putting guys into opportunities to succeed. At times, you know, he's involved with opportunities, but his end product, we talked about the other night against Canada, it wasn't there. Um, you know, so I, I saw the highs and lows of a player like Gianluca Buzio. Oh, you know, ultimately, that's like that, that's sort of part of my frustration with the way this whole tournament and this whole team is perceived is like, well, what? I don't know exactly what it was people thought they'd be getting. I'm not saying don't be disappointed and I'm not making excuses for anyone. I'm disappointed, but like it's, these guys aren't a part of the a squad for a reason. They're just, they're not there yet. Some of their careers can still go in that direction, but 
in this moment for this tournament, they're not good enough yet. And when you put out a squad that is not of that level in a tournament where some teams are, I mean, Panama brought most of their best players. They came to win this. You know, Canada was a little bit similar to the U.S., but they had some of their World Cup players available to them. The U.S. didn't. I mean, like, is there a single, other than Matt Turner, I mean, was there a single outfield player for the U.S. that if the World Cup started tomorrow from this team would be on that World Cup team for the U.S.? No. I don't think so. I don't think, maybe Ferreira, but, like, probably not now, not with Balogun in a U.S. uniform and not with Ricardo Pepe in the form that he had been in of late. Um, he might be one that, Ferreira might be one that has a chance, but overall, I, this is, it's kind of what you get. You can be disappointed. Hell, I, I'm I'm extremely disappointed. I wanted to see the U.S. win this tournament. I don't want to cede momentum back to any other nation. I mean, we'll see. I, I'm recording this right now as Mexico and Jamaica are both playing. It's 2-0 in the 41st as I'm talking to you. Uh, so I'm going to assume by the time this podcast is over, they will have won. You know, so that's that's not... It would have been nice for the U.S. to have maybe played a little bit of a B squad. Like for me, a B... It, like, Throughout this tournament, we've kind of described this as a B squad for the U.S. It's really not. I mean, it's really not. To me, a B squad would be some World Cup caliber players for the U.S., some A squad players for the U.S. are there, some C squad players are there. You you put all that together, it's a B squad. They're not there. None of them. You know, this is a lot of MLS guys and some fringe European guys, you know, like Georgi Mihalovic that we're, you know, we're not, not sure he's going to catch on there. His initial stint in the Dutch league sort of was kind of, a mixed bag didn't play very much. So like that's, this was a C squad that the U S put out in this tournament uh, with a manager who is while maybe good and uh, won a nation's league for the U S um, certainly I would say does has shown me something where I would say he deserves an opportunity to be a manager at some point on some level, but like, this isn't the manager of the team. This isn't the head coach. So like I, I can sit here and be disappointed, I can't sit here and be stunned. Uh, I don't know if if that reflects the way many of you are feeling, if there's a, a feeling of, of shock over this. If there is, I think that that's a little bit of arrogance on your part and a little bit of just kind of getting used to seeing the U.S. find a way uh, over the last few years. And this time, you know, it caught up with them. Uh, I know Landon Donovan, I think, mentioned that on the postgame show afterwards, is that like they were kind of playing with fire in this tournament. Um, the U.S. has had a, a bunch of tight victories uh, in this tournament, even before it caught up with them. And I think they showed tonight that this group, at least right now, not good enough. Not a lot of players here that you can pluck out and say, OK, well, that's that's one. Put him into the A squad. He's earned his he's earned his way in there. Not yet. Not yet. Um, so, you know, that's how I view this Gold Cup. Would have been nice to win. Hard to take anything too positive away from it, but I'm not writing off careers because of it. Uh, so we'll see. This won't be the last time that we see many of these players. The U.S. lost some players to injury over the course of this tournament, which doesn't help with their depth and with cohesion. New pieces have to be inserted. So it was just wasn't ideal. Not great. This kind of ends the the U.S. men's portion of the summer. Now the 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 main event as we kind of shift gears over to the u.s women as uh the world cup for them begins a week from friday uh boy that's soon oh getting certainly getting excited they've landed they're over there it's uh it's starting to feel real now that the u.s men have have lost and their summer ends and so i i guess if i'm trying to think of a grade 
to give the U.S. for how this summer played out. I mean, ultimately, yeah, you know, I'll go B plus. I think some people might think that's that's too high of a grade to give. It's just because I weigh things like when I'm judging the U.S., I try to judge us by our best players. Obviously, depth matters, and it would have been really cool if I came out of this tournament with a new set of players that I could that I could identify and say our depth. Wow, our depth is even greater than whatever I thought it was before. I can't necessarily sit here and do that. But the U.S. won the Concacaf Nations League. They beat Mexico, and they look good doing it. They beat Canada. They look good doing it. Um, you know, without having their true manager. You know, they were using an interim to an interim. Like I, I think that ultimately that will probably be my lasting takeaway from this summer. A gold cup with a C squad would have been really cool. Um, but I'm not gonna let that necessarily sully what the A squad did earlier in the summer in winning that nation's league. So that's kind of where I'm at. Maybe that's a little bit too nice of a grade. Maybe I should kind of lower it to a straight up B. Um that's that's sort of where I'm at. I, I don't this gold cup sort of confused me. I don't know how to read into it. I know that there's there's been a lot of negativity around it. Uh, in fact, I saw uh, at MLS Buzz, a Twitter account that we kind of cite uh, somewhat often on this podcast, and, and they spoke before the game tonight. Now, I wonder if their tone has changed a little bit, but at MLS Buzz tweeted this, which I, I wanted to read out. They said, the discourse around the gold cup has been way too toxic. This is a BC team playing in what can be boiled down to tryouts for the A team. They've not lost yet. Now they have. And yet still, the main points of conversation around it are soaked in so much bitterness. I'm all for getting underperforming players off of our A-level na- A-level national team. I don't want Greg back. But the Gold Cup with a C team, at some point, if every little thing pisses you off, you're not some critical thinker. You're just toxic. I, I kind of, I mean, certainly, if you listened to our podcast the other night after the Canada match, yeah, like you would say that you you might say that MLS Buzz is my burner account. I mean, that's kind of how I feel. The tone changes a little bit after losing this one tonight. I think a lot of the negative feelings were proven correct. Um, but again, like I said, I don't know what people were necessarily expecting with a C squad. Uh, so that's where I'm at. That's kind of my takeaways from the Gold Cup. We'll talk more about it. I, I definitely want to get JJ's thoughts when he's back on the podcast. So even though we'll be a few days removed from it, um, you know, JJ will will give his take as well, um, which I have a feeling will be a, a little bit darker than whatever mine has been. Um, but that's that's kind of where I'm at. Not not the best Gold Cup. Not the most memorable one. I don't think. I think as soon as this one ends. I don't know that anyone will talk about this this gold cup again uh, here in the U.S. It was a team that was not a preferred team that didn't play that well, and not too many guys stood out. So, you know, that's it is what it is. Like that's that's it. A couple other things that I just want to mention quickly before I get out: Christian Pulisic uh, in the transfer that never ends. I feel like this was confirmed two weeks ago, uh, but here we are, and it's like I'm still seeing headlines suggesting that it's it's close to getting over the line. What's I guess he's got to take his medical. God, transfers in this sport are just so frustrating. They happen in so many phases. You know, first it's the like player has agreed to terms with the team. Oh, okay, it's done. Oh, well, no, it's not because the teams have to agree to terms. Oh, they've agreed to terms. Okay, well, it's done. Well, no, it's not. He has to take his medical. Well, just when is it over already? It's at the point now. I see guys in the jersey. That used to be my gauge. Okay, Pulisic's in the AC Milan kit. It's done. You know, Fabrizio has said, here we go. It's done. I don't know what to trust anymore. Having said all that, he's going to be an AC Milan player. He's in Milan. He's already talking about we. You know, I'm so happy to be a part of this historic club. Uh, I like the move. I'm happy for him. Uh, I, I think he will get a chance to play there. I don't think, you know, the price tag that he's going on, what is it, 22 million, somewhere around there? I think it's 22 million. Um, you know, if that's the price tag for a Premier League club bringing you in, 
that's not so great. You know, money is thrown around so wildly right now in the Premier League. The 22 million doesn't necessarily mean, okay, they spent that on you. You, well, you're playing. You know, not not necessarily in the Premier League. In Syria, ah, right now, I think if a team spends that sort of money on a player, they're going to give them every opportunity to show that they were worth that kind of money. Uh, so I think, you know, if there's concern out there, as to whether or not Pulisic's going to get a chance with AC Milan, I'd be stunned if he didn't. I really think that they are going to try to build an attack around him. Uh, and it could be fun to see him, Leao. Uh, so we'll see how it goes. I'm optimistic about it. So he's landing in Milan. Meanwhile, Lionel Messi lands in the United States. His unveiling is imminent. Reading from ESPN FC, they're calling it the unveil. The unveil is set to start at 6 p.m. on Sunday at the team's DRV PNK Stadium. Uh, Inter-Miami season ticket holders will receive free admission. Um, You know, it's so interesting in looking at Inter-Miami right now. They drew 2-2 over the weekend against D.C. United. And because Messi is one of the only players in the world where whatever team he was going to go to, with a few exceptions, certainly, but certainly here in MLS, I hate to say this, fans of the team won't want to hear this, but he's bigger than the team. He just is. Like, if you... If you want to tell me no one's bigger than the team, okay, that's that, that's a nice thing to say, but you're living in fantasy land. All right? that, that's just not true. He's bigger than the team. He's Lionel Messi. He's probably the greatest player in the history of the sport. So because of that, all of the focus here, and rightfully so, has been on him joining the club. But like, it hasn't been on the club itself. You know, it's 10 straight matches now without a win for Inter Miami. This is where, this is the club that Lionel Messi is going to. 18 points through 21 games. They're eight points back of the last playoff spot in the East. Um, I will be, I, I don't know how everyone else there out there feels like if this has almost become a sideshow where winning and losing doesn't even matter anymore because he's bigger than the team. We just want to see him do his thing. If they lose four, three, but he scores a hat trick, we're all going home happy. Um, maybe that's how most people feel. And most people might be right to feel that way. If you're not an inter Miami fan, if you're a neutral, yeah, that's a, that'd be a satisfying feeling. If you sit down and watch that on Apple TV, you're getting your subscriptions worth. I would say if Messi's putting in hat tricks. Um, but I'm just fascinated to see, okay, a team that has been in, has been utter shambles this season, worse than the Eastern conference, but they are still within striking distance of a playoff spot. Can this guy, not just some guy, but this guy. Can he overcome that deficit? Is he enough to push them into a playoff spot? Tata Martino coming in and managing this team. It's just all very strange things to see happen to the worst team in the conference. Like, you don't, you just never see this, whether it be soccer, basketball, football. Like, these are the teams that are sellers. These are the teams that are like, you know, just kind of seeing out the end of a season. You don't often see the worst team make moves like this. And it'll be fascinating to see if it pays off. So obviously, yes, I'm I'm riveted by the Messi angle. I can't wait to see him actually put on the jersey. Unfortunately, it's going to be to start out in the League's Cup, um, a tournament that's just kind of like existed uh, suddenly and out of nowhere. Um, I don't know if that's like where I wanted to initially see him playing. I kind of want to see like if Inter Miami can take this guy in and and fight their way back into a, a playoff spot, but. I will be intrigued once once the League's Cup is over and we go back to MLS play. I will be interested in seeing if if bringing him into the fold is enough to do that. It will be uh, it will be fascinating. And then uh, one other note here, while we're on Messi, his former club who tried to get him Barcelona, boy are they in PR mode right now? Oh, they are really trying to rally the fan base. This was John Laporta uh, earlier today or yesterday. Um, he was talking to Sport. He said, we have a better team than Madrid, and individually we are also better with some difference uh, with some difference than our rivals. 
As a club member and fan, I am very satisfied with the team we are building. We already have a very competitive team. We have won the Spanish League, and we can continue exercising dominance in this competition. We also want to be in the group of candidates to win the Champions League. It's a big statement. We have a better team than Madrid. That's a big statement right now. However, it's not crazy. Like I can say, like here we go, PR mode, rally the fan base. But like Barcelona have signed Ilkay Gundogan and Inigo Martinez. They also just signed uh, Vitor Roque, although we don't know when he, exactly he's going to join Barcelona. He's 18, probably going to stay in Brazil on loan, and then they'll get him next year. But like I can understand Laporta's frustration and desire to kind of make claims like this to the fans and media because it does feel like the majority of the stories around this club are are largely negative are almost like a mockery of Barcelona. Oh, their financial situation. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, crashing out of the Champions League in the group stage. Oh, ha, ha, ha. But like, what do we often say on the show? That probably the best measure of how good a team is is what they're doing in their league. Well, they just won theirs by 10 points over Real Madrid. You know, they have two of the best young midfielders in the world in Pedri and Gabi. They got one of the greatest goal scorers of all time in Robert Lewandowski, who just won a golden boot last year. So if you're waiting for that drop-off, hasn't occurred just yet. And I wouldn't expect it to occur this year. They've got elite center back pairing in Araujo and Christensen. They've added Inigo Martinez. Um, you know, they have to figure out right back. That's an issue for them. Maybe their depth isn't quite that of Real Madrid, but they have every right to believe that they're the best team in their league. I don't know if I agree with it. If I were sitting here right now, I mean, you all know what I think of Real Madrid. Some Sometimes to a fault. I think I might even go a little bit too far, but I think Vinicius is right on the cusp of joining Mbappe among the two to three, you know, the two of them in Holland, uh, you know, the three best players in the world. And in any given year, that order could be all jumbled up and mixed up. You know, I think that highly of Vinicius, um, you know, Real Madrid's midfield right now is just absurd. They have an embarrassment of riches from a depth perspective, so they can contend in the Champions League and they could potentially contend in La Liga. Although I, yeah, I could sit here and say all this, but Barcelona won the league last year by 10 points. Like those are, those are facts. Uh, and you, you can't just brush them aside. Like that has to mean something. I, I say all the time on this podcast, when we're talking about the U S men's national team, you know, it applies here as well. Trophies have to matter. That's why we're playing. And Barcelona won La Liga by 10 points over Real Madrid. So while I may disagree, I, you know, I look at them player for player and I think Real Madrid is a little bit better, but it's, it's certainly competitive enough to the point where I don't think Joan Laporta should be getting laughed at by anybody for making that claim. I think he's got every right to make it. Um, so we'll continue to talk about all this stuff. Uh, I can't wait for JJ to get back because I want to get his take on so many different things. We're going to have a U.S. women's national team world cup preview coming up next week before their first game. Um, Last bit before I get out to circle all the way back around to uh, the Gold Cup as we sort of put that to bed. I mean, obviously, we'll talk a little bit about what happens in the Gold Cup final, um, but the U.S. are out. And that's 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 just sad for this podcast because that's that's what we we want to see them win trophies. We want to see them go far. We want to be talking about them in the final and uh, not the final that we're going to have, but we'll still talk about it. But to go full circle tonight, I had a couple ancillary things that I did want to at least mention before I got out. Um, You know, the U.S. lost tonight, but in a way, in a way, we were all winners tonight. We were all winners tonight. It was an announced kickoff time of 7.30. That was on all the websites, and I looked at that, I thought, uh, JJ, we joked about it the other night. We said, well, 8.06, 8.06, everyone. We, We led you astray. It was like 7.36. The announced kickoff time, They it was pretty much what, what it is, what it was. I don't know. Are they changing their ways? 
Has somebody in, in U.S. soccer or CONCACAF been listening to this podcast or Fox? I guess, is that a Fox decision to announce the kickoff time uh, earlier than whatever it's going to be? But it's listed everywhere. I go to ESPN FC for my scoreboard and my schedule. That's what it was listed um, when it's not accurate. So I don't know whose decision it is, but maybe someone, maybe someone out there is listening to this podcast and, and is finally understanding that fans don't like feeling like they've been tricked by their own federation. Um so yeah, now it's kickoff time of 7:30 and that was pretty much when it was. So I guess maybe they need to do this every once in a while. Maybe you know what? Maybe it's even more devious. Maybe I'm giving them too much credit. Maybe they think okay, if we really want to trick them, if we keep doing this, if we keep saying it's 7:30 and then kicking off at 8:06, well they're all just going to know. They're going to know we don't have to turn in until 8 o'clock. So every once in a while, maybe they have to throw us a bone, have kickoff when they say, so then the next five times we get tricked again. We feel like, okay, well, now I have to go back because I think they're kicking off when they say now. No, maybe they're just messing with us. So they don't have my full apology yet. I will not apologize yet or give them credit yet. I need to see what happens next before I give full credit. But as for tonight, we're all winners. If you tuned in at 730, rolled your eyes and thought, oh, I got to wait 36 more minutes. Nope. You had kickoff when they said um, two other ancillary points from the gold cup that I wanted to say before I put a bow on this. <laughs> I don't know what all of you out there thought of this, but like on my group text tonight, it was kind of going crazy fluctuating between what was happening with the U S and what was happening with the Philadelphia union. And I was kind of thinking to myself, like what's going on here. Why is this happening? I, I know U S soccer and MLS are not always the best of friends, But what are we doing playing a full slate of domestic league matches at the same time as our Continental Cup semifinal? What the F are you doing? How is that okay? There was not enough. I know because of the League's Cup, okay, fine. Maybe there had to be midweek matches. Like, could one of these two things have been on a different night? What a horribly planned evening of soccer to have, like, divided your soccer viewing public in this country and make them have to choose between the U S and a semifinal or the slate of MLS matches. Something couldn't have been on a Tuesday or Thursday. Like, what is that? Would any other country do that? I I get annoyed when like, when like the league cup in England is on the same day as other Premier league matches like that bothers me. They're not, it's not that they're conflicting. They just like they play them on the same day. I think a, a, when a trophy is handed out, I think it should have a day to itself. Well, this took it like this was that on steroids. Not only are we going to play the same day, we're going to play at the exact same time and make you decide. Why? Why do that? Why, why do that to, to fans in this country and in, and in other countries? Like, yeah, don't get it. Don't get it. How can that happen? So, yeah. And then finally, my other head scratching moment from the Gold Cup Um like if one of these semifinals had to be at 7:30, which is fine. Like I'm okay with them if they want to play both semifinals on the same night and have a double header. I don't know that that needs to be the case. Like I don't know why. Like maybe you could have had one on uh, Tuesday, one Wednesday, or uh, you know, I guess they want to give both teams an equal day of rest for the final. So okay, fine. You want to have them both on the same night. You're going to do a double header. One of the games has to be at 7:30. Okay, fine. Why is that game being played at a, a West Coast venue? Like, why would that be chosen for a 7.30 kickoff? There was there was no East Coast or Central Time venue that were available. Instead, you're playing a game in San Diego at 4.30 in the afternoon. Uh, and they talked about it at the start of the broadcast. Like, you looked at the stadium, it was half full. People are in work. People are in heavy, heavy traffic trying to get to this game. Like, why, why would that venue have been chosen? 
I don't know. I, I, I would like to believe I'm not that smart. Ultimately, I, that's probably been proven many times on this podcast. I'm not that smart. I'm sure that there are people at the, you know, in the towers of power in CONCACAF and U.S. soccer and whatever, every federation that are much smarter than me. I'm sure there are reasons for all these things. Why MLS and a semifinal would be playing at the same time. Why a West Coast venue would be chosen for a 730 kickoff for a cup, (laughs) for a weekday cup semifinal of the Gold Cup. I'm sure there are reasons. I would like to hear them. I would like to hear them so I can at least say, oh, you're right. I'm not that smart. I should have known this. Because right now I sit here and I just think, CONCACAF. Nothing can ever, nothing can ever be quite normal. We have to just, it's like, we just have to do things a a little bit different. That's, that's our brand. That's how, that's how many of us see it. I would like someone to explain to me why the weirdness, why can't we just be normal? That's about all I have on this evening. I'm sorry it wasn't a happier podcast, but when the U.S. lose and they don't look good, it's not going to be, not going to be much fun. That's just the way it is. And it's going to be even less fun when it's just me. Um, so I would expect we will have JJ back for the next podcast. Like I said, um, he was dealing with a, a little bit of a family situation. So we wish him and his family all the best. And um, hopefully we'll be hearing from him right alongside me on our next podcasts, probably early, very early next week. That's about all I got. Uh, Gold Cup final coming up this weekend. We'll recap that. And like I said, next week, got a little bit of U.S. Women's National Team World Cup preview stuff. I can't wait for that tournament. God, I feel feel good about this team. I just do. Even with the injuries, you know, seeing them land, seeing the players coming off the plane, I was like, yes, here we go. Like this, let's do this. Let's just, let's effing go here. Um, That's been caught offside for tonight. Thanks everybody out there for listening. To all of you out there, I say, check you later. Fun boys. Take care, everybody. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.